Well, today I, I want to preach a message to you. Um, I, I feel like this is what God wants me to talk about this morning. Uh, all over the globe right now, people, not everyone, but people are having uh, identity crisis. Um, all over the globe. If you watch the Olympics at all, we had our first transgender weightlifter participate in the Olympics this year. It was a guy who transitioned into a woman and went into the weightlifting division, which is a slap in the face. It's a spit in the face of God, right? And so I personally, with all the drama going on with the Olympics, decided not to watch. I protest by not watching, <laughs> not participating. I don't want to be caught up in your stuff, right? And so the world today seems to be going through this identity crisis. And I feel like God wanted me to touch on that today because I think he wants his church to know who they are. Especially in this season, we need to know who we are. We need to be solid in who we are. Not wondering, not guessing, not even vacillating, going back and forth. We need to be solid in who we are. I recently watched a documentary, I think it was uh, Virginia and I, I don't know if you watched it or not, but Virginia and I watched a documentary by, Mike, by Dr. Michael Brown, and it's, it's called In His Image. Has anybody seen that documentary, In His Image? If, I would encourage you to write it down and then watch it. I don't know if I would watch it with my youngest kids, like maybe 13 and down. I don't know if I would watch it with them. Maybe you watch it first, and then if you feel safe at your own discretion, let them watch it. But it, it's, it's a, a very good, healthy look at the identity crisis we're facing as a nation and across the globe today. And he has a very clean, love-filled way of dealing with people who are in to the extremes, these identity crises. One of the, the testimonies in the story, I'm not going to give you all of it, but one of the testimonies was this guy who, who wasn't, he wasn't just like a, a hyper-masculine boy. He was just kind of a sensitive boy. Nothing wrong with him. He just, but he got bullied by a bunch of hyper-masculine boys when he was growing up. And so he never could find acceptance because he never felt like he could be masculine enough to fit into the crowd. And so we all know the enemy plays with that, right? So the enemy took that and showed him or introduced him to some friends who were homosexual and, and he found a, a community of people, though he never really had those tendencies, he just found a community that he could identify with, that he could find acceptance in, and he became gay. He wasn't born that way. He chose to be that way because he found acceptance just as he was in that community. Now, praise God, years later, God pulled him out of that. He's a married man, incredible family, pastors a church, secure in who he is, and actually has a ministry into that field today like never before. Another story, a girl was sexually abused multiple times by different people all the way up into her teenage years until finally she got so frustrated that it kept happening that she said it would be better for me. This was her, her, her testimony. It would be better for me to be a man so I would be less likely to be abused than to be a woman. And she fully transitioned into 
I mean, changed her social security card and her name, caused a riff in the family because her mama refused to call her by her new name. Because she figured, if I'm a man, maybe no one else will abuse me. Praise God, she's gone back and she's learning to live as a woman now. We're in a crisis, but not every crisis is that extreme. There's an identity crisis in the church that's the real problem. My takeaway from the documentary was it seems like most people find their identity through their life experiences. Their life experiences, the words that have been spoken over them, tend to shape their identity, and then their identity ends up whatever, in whatever condition or place that everybody else around them seemed to have dictated. Does that make sense? And so it's a problem. Uh, uh, we had the, the men's conference this weekend, and uh, Coach Jeff Willis touched on this. I, just for the record, John, I wanted to tell you this before, but, but he, I actually wrote my message on Thursday before he said it on Friday, so I'm not stealing it from, from Coach Willis. Just, <laughs> it's like he went and I'm like, he read my notes. <laughs> but he brought, it, he brought a, a, a difference or a comparison between reputation and identity. Very simply put, reputation is what other people believe about you. It's, it's like an outside-to-in approach or view. Your reputation is what other people believe about you. Your identity is what you believe about yourself. It works from the inside out. And we have to be careful to not let our reputation determine our identity. Instead, we need to let our identity determine our reputation. Amen? This is where the, the friction hits. This is where the, the rubber meets the road. You need to know who you are in Christ, and that needs to determine what your reputation is. So today, I want to show you how to find and build your identity in Christ. We could stay a couple of weeks on this topic. Uh, I don't feel like we're going to do that. I just feel like I, this was a message God wanted me to preach today. And so I hope to give you enough to walk out of here with a new perspective and an understanding of how my identity is built. You ready? So let's start with the why. Here's why. It's always important to start with why. If your identity is found in anything other than Christ, your identity is found unstable. It is unstable. Anything built on anything other than Christ is sand. In contrast, anything built on Christ is solid rock, immovable. Storms come, the foundation never moves. As you never moves, you might lose a board or two, but you're not going to lose your foundation, right? So if your identity is built on anything other than Christ, it is unstable, meaning this, that it can change, it can transition, it can be influenced. Come on, somebody. Some of you are like chameleons. You get around certain people and you identify with that. And all you do is just conform everywhere you go. You conform to this group you conform to that group and that's how we get in trouble because we don't know who we are it's not solid it's easily moved 
if you have an identity crisis, you will struggle to just be with Christ. The church has an issue of being with Christ, just being. Like, what's stopping you from just being with Christ? I was raised Baptist. One of my favorite hymns was Just As I Am. I'm going to show you that God loves you just like you are. Does he have plans for you? Yes. Are you, is your life going to transform? Yes. But he loves you just like you are. Can you not just settle and I, this is who I am? This is who God's made me. I just need to be content with this and I need to learn to live right here with Christ. You'll struggle to just be. You'll struggle to believe all that Jesus says about you. And when you hear it, when you read it, when you, you hear others saying it, you'll just kind of like, oh, I don't know if I believe that. You'll struggle to live in the freedom that's been given to you. You'll never feel like you're good enough, and eventually you'll get caught up into works-based works religion. <laughs> if you believe the lie that I'm not good enough, then all you're going to do is either quit or you're going to work harder to become good enough. And as long as you're either quitting or working harder to be good enough, you're not being with Christ. You're unsettled. Your identity is unstable. Come on, somebody. You will settle for lesser things or lesser people because your worth is so low. You'll settle. Let me tell you one of the difficulties as, as, as a parent when, when, your kids, when your kids become adults is they, they start to find relationships and you start to get nervous. You're like, oh my God, who are they going to pick? Oh God, who's going to be in the family now? Because I mean, if they marry someone, like they're in the family. It's like, oh my God, praise God, it's going well. <laughs> But it's nerve-wracking, right? Because you start to see your children's identity played out in who they, who they accept. Come on. You pray to God they don't settle. If they're settling, there's an identity crisis. You'll struggle to do things of the kingdom because you'll be doing them for the wrong reason. Your life will not always reflect his image because of your identity crisis. That's just some of the why. Did that help? So let's get into the how. To understand how to build your identity, we're going to have to back up a little bit. I don't normally like to go backwards. I was raised a prideful man. If I'm backing up, I'm dying. Come on, somebody. Only quitters back up. But you know, sometimes I've learned in, in my Christian walk that sometimes I got to go back to my foundation. Sometimes I got to get back to where it all started. And maybe I left something there and didn't take it on the journey with me. And I need to go back and discover what that is and then bring it along with me. Amen. So we're going to back up today. We're going to come all the way back to the beginning when you met Jesus. And we're going to rebuild identity today. And I hope to give you the how 
and make it real clear to you. In Romans chapter 5, we'll spend most of our time in in 5, starting in verse 8 to 11. I'm going to show you today how Paul tells us who we are. Romans 5, 8 to 11. I'm going to read it to you, then we're going to break it apart. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us, watch this, friends of God. You ought to underline that in your Bible. If you're on your version app, you can tap it. You can highlight it there also. If you don't know how to do that, don't waste your time. You'll miss the whole message trying to put out a highlight on one, on one thing. So I want you to see something today. Jesus actually saved us. Watch this. I just want to make this clear. Jesus saved us from God's condemnation. Come on. He didn't save us from the enemy's condemnation. He saved us from God's condemnation. You got to come to terms with God as the ultimate judge, and he decides who burns in hell or who thrives in heaven. He's the one who decides. It's his determination. It's his choice. He's the judge. When Jesus died on the cross and you accepted Christ, his blood washed your sin, and it changed God's mind about you. And you were headed for eternal condemnation, but now you're headed for eternity in heaven. Come on, somebody. He saved you from God's condemnation. You got to know who you're dealing with. You got to know who you're following. You got to know whose family you belong to. You need to know who God is. You see, before Christ, you were his enemy, living and working against him and his kingdom. No sugar today, y'all. (laughs) no sugar today. We're going to drink it black. (laughs) All of God's enemies will spend eternity in hell while all of his friends will spend eternity in heaven. Does that simplify it enough? All of his enemies are going to burn. All of his friends will spend eternity in heaven. It's as simple as that. That should change the way you see the people that are in your life. Ah, yeah, you should, it should change how you see the world around you. You got to come back to this, this foundation that if I don't tell my friends about Jesus and give them an opportunity to respond to Jesus, they're going to burn. We can't get away from that. They are still an enemy of God and they will burn. When God had us there to witness. So his, his enemies will burn, his friends will thrive in heaven. I want you to see this also, even though we were his enemies, he still showed his love for us by sending Jesus to die for us. Boy, this is a big deal. I'm telling you, this is a big deal. This really got to get into your foundation He had great love for you while you were his enemy. 
while you were his enemy, he showed his great love for you. Why is that important? Because you need to understand that God loved you before you knew him. You need to understand that he had you on his radar long before you ever discovered him. It shows you that his great love for his people goes beyond our position with him. So, so when Jesus did what he did and we accepted what he did on the cross, we went from enemies to friends, there was a transformation that happened, and I think this is where a lot of us are missing the boat. We, we don't understand the transition. So, so watch this. He had great love for you while he was, you were his enemy, and he sent his son to die for you while you were still his enemy so that there would be a transformation that would happen. You would go from being enemy to now friend. I don't know if you realize this, but when God transitions or transforms something, he transforms it all the way. He's not a half-hearted God. He don't go and start something that he don't finish. If he starts it, he's going to finish it. That's a word for some of you that are believing for people that are maybe prodigals that are running away. There's a transformation that happened. It happened, the transformation happened right then and there. The day, listen to me, the day you made a confession that Jesus is the Lord of your life and you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, there was a transformation that happened. Something changed. Come on. You didn't all the way feel it though. <laughs> Even though the transformation happened right then and there, it's not complete yet. I need to unpack this. Watch this. Paul, Paul used this word. He used the word new relationship. He said, now we can rejoice in this wonderful new relationship. So think about it. I was an enemy of God. I was facing his resistance. I was against him. Come on. And then the day I met Jesus and gave my life to Jesus, that transformed, and now I'm his friend can it really be that I can be a friend of God what does that even look like what does it look like to be a friend of God and no longer an enemy of God because there's difference between enemies and friends come on some of you got neighbors that are enemies because they throw their grass clippings in your yard and you over there cussing and fussing underneath your breath because they put a few clippings in your yard and now that they're enemy, now they're your enemy and you, you and some of you gangsters, you throw your clippings back over. That's what I used to do. A little confession. Paul used the word new relationship. Say new. The day you met Jesus was the day you got a new relationship. Brand spanking new. Wow. A new relationship. You see, real friendships are grown over time. 
we determine the speed of the growth by how much time we spend together. Track with me. New relationships grow over time. We dictate the speed of the growth by how much time we spend together. You ever heard the term fast friends? They became fast friends. How do they become fast friends? They spend a lot of time together, right? And I'm not talking about religious acts. Let me, let me just clear that up for a minute. I'm not talking about even just reading your Bible or just praying in a, in a religious kind of position. I'm talking about spending time with this new relationship with God, this brand new relationship, spending time with him. Talking to him while you're on the fly. Listening to him while you're doing what you're doing. New relationship. So lots of time usually equals lots of growth. So watch what Paul said in Romans 12. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Here it is. By changing the way you think. You know what God wants to do with you? (laughs) He wants to change your mind. You know what you don't want to do? Is let him. Why not? Why don't we want to let God change our mind? Because we're prideful. We think we know it all. I got my life. I'm good. Let him, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You're going to see it in a minute, I hope. Um, so, So let God change the way you think. Let me give you four truths in these four verses. I'm going to take each verse and pull a truth from it and share it with you. And I believe this is what we need to see today. Number one, God loved you even as an enemy. You got you to nail that down. He loved you while you were an enemy. Listen to this. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While you were still a sinner, you were an enemy. So the verse shows us that God showed his great love. You know, love is, is it's, it's, it's one thing to say you love somebody. It's a whole different thing to, to show somebody that you love them. This is, this is a common problem in marriage. I love you, babe. I love you, babe. Yeah, don't sing it. Bring it, bruh. Like, like pick your shoes up. <laughs> like throw your, throw your garbage away. Show love. Sit down and talk to me. Show me love. Fix me a coffee. (laughs) In my house, if somebody else just brews the coffee, I feel the love of God. Come on, somebody. They wear me out with this Hebrews mess. It just ain't right. God showed, he demonstrated his love for us. Watch this. So when God sent his son, it was the greatest expression of love. He showed it. He demonstrated it. He started it. Remember, he didn't, you didn't choose him. He chose you. He, he looked upon the earth and he saw you and he said, I want them. And he moved heaven and the earth to get to you. He showed it. He demonstrated. He expressed it. 
He did something about it. So I had this thought. If God showed great love for me while I was his enemy, how does he love me now that I'm his friend? Oh my gosh, something's changed. He loved me as an enemy. How much does he love me now? Maybe that's why the Bible says you'll never understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. (laughs) We're swimming in an ocean and nobody's ever found the bottom. Can you get that? God loved you even as an enemy. The second truth I want to show you today is that Jesus' blood made things right. Jesus' blood made things right. Verse 9 says, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. There it is again, his condemnation. Notice that Paul tells us we were made right. We were made right in God's sight. So important to take the scriptures and break them down a little bit. We were made right in God's sight. I almost created a rap with that, but it's... Y'all want me to go? No. Ain't got time. (laughs) So we were made right in God's sight. That means he sees us differently now. Whoa. That means he saw me one way as an enemy, and he sees me a different way as a friend. So to completely find your identity in Christ, we have to see ourselves the way God sees us. So the phrase made right could also be the word justified. Some translations use that word in this portion of scripture. So to be made right is to be justified. Justified means to acquit or to declare righteous. That means when God's looking at your life and the verdict comes in, you're made right. You've been acquitted. Your sins are completely forgiven. They're washed away, never to be remembered again. If somebody's reminding you of your old sins, either they're trying to distract you, hurt you, or harm you, or it's the enemy trying to remind you of your past sins. It's not God. God is the judge and decides who is condemned and who is acquitted. Jesus' blood washed away your sin and then qualified you for acquittal. Without the washing away of our sin, we are left to be condemned. Come on, we're back at the roots. You gotta, you, this has to be your foundation. Can you accept the fact that the blood works? Can you fully accept the fact that the blood works? Why do we do communion once a month? To remind us, that's what Jesus said, every time you take bread, every time you drink wine, remember what I did. When the blood is applied, God sees you just as if you never did anything wrong. So therefore, we don't have to feel guilty for anything in our past. We don't have to live under shame anymore. 
I'll tell you what, I'm glad. <laughs> Whew. I was a jerk to my relatives. I treated my cousins bad. I'm glad I don't have to be in shame of that anymore. I'm not guilty of that anymore. Hmm. So Jesus' blood made things right. Number three, Jesus' death brought us to God. Verse 10, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So the word used here could easily be reconcile. It's to restore, it's to bring back, to reconcile, it's to change or to exchange. So watch this. In the context of relationship, to reconcile means this. It means to change your attitude toward the other person. Pay attention. It shows up in marriage. When somebody, when when one person offends the other person, your attitude changes towards them because you're hurt, right? Well, the only way you reconcile that marriage is when you change your attitude towards one another. People can get divorced for, for unreconcilable differences, which basically means this, that one or both parties decided not to change their attitude towards the other person, and so we said, let's just draw a line and quit and get out of here because I don't want to change my attitude. Here's the beauty in all of this. When you gave your life to Jesus and the blood washed away your sin, God changed his attitude towards you. And I'm telling you today, we need to change our attitude towards him. God's mind has been changed about you. So Jesus' blood changed how God saw you, but his death changed God's attitudes towards you. If God can change, can we not change also? I grew up in a denomination where if you messed up, God was going to beat you up. That's how I was raised. They, they shaped and formed, even in Sunday school, they shaped and formed my identity and, and how I saw God and how God saw me. Like, like God, I, I saw God as, a, as the one who expected me to be perfect. And if I couldn't be perfect, then I was never good enough. And if I wasn't good enough, that's because I wasn't trying harder. Come on, until eventually I, I realized I can't do this, so I quit, I backslid, I ran. I ran in the world for a while until I came back and I had a pastor who said, you can do anything. God loves you. He quit telling me what I couldn't do and started telling me what I could do. And it transformed the way I saw God. I started reading the scriptures differently. I saw it with a different light. Watch this. We're at the men's conference this week. They probably had, I don't know, 12 speakers. I mean, it was, it was like drinking from a waterfall, one after the other after the other. And they were all giving their testimonies. And so I'm listening to all these different testimonies and I'm sitting there and, and, and I'm going, I started to realize something that when somebody gives their testimony, however they give their testimony shows how they see God. Because some of them were nice, sweet, redemptive type of testimonies. Others were like, God beat the hell out of me until I came back. And I'm like, bro. You sure you good with God? <laughs> I'm like, 
come to church tomorrow. I got a message on identity. (laughs) So if you've ever offended someone or had somebody offend you, your attitude was changed. Right? Come on, we say, you got an attitude. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, you got an attitude. No, don't do that. I don't want to start no fights in church. I want to kind of put some out if I can. <laughs> some of you are like, I've been waiting for that. <laughs> in front of witnesses. <laughs> and maybe your attitude towards them radically changed. And, and you, 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 I know, I know, okay, I'll speak to me and Cheryl. Me and Cheryl, when we fight, our attitude changes. and We don't want to be next to each other. Right? We're like, like two ends of a magnet that just won't come together. It's like, and if we happen to bump into each other, it's bad. That, that's how it used to be. We're good now. So I say pray for your pastor and his wife. She needs some help too. Uh, but, but watch this. But the minute one or both of us makes a confession and asks for forgiveness, or extends forgiveness, the attitude changes. Or at least it should. The attitude should change. God changed his attitude about you. In fact, Jesus changed God's attitude about you. Last one, number four, Jesus made us friends. Listen, listen to the words Paul uses here. So now we can. Listen to that. So now we can. What has he said up to this point? That Jesus brought us into a relationship with God. Jesus dealt with our sin. We went from enemies to friends. All these things Paul's been telling us, all this, all the points that we've gotten to this point. And now Paul is saying, so now we can. This is where we're at today. You gotta get this. So now we can rejoice in this wonderful new relationship. Don't get stuck on the backside. Enjoy the new relationship. Come on, this is what God's inviting you into. He sent his son so that you can rejoice in the new relationship. There should be a fire inside of us. There should be a joy inside of us. It shouldn't be something that somebody else has to stir up. There should be something that comes from the relationship. I know the world's beating the hell out of us right now, but listen to me. We're still rooted and grounded in Christ. My identity is found in Christ, not what's going on around me. If I die from COVID, praise God, I'm going to be with him. Rejoice. Enjoy. Celebrate. Be excited. The world don't want to follow a boudet in God. We shouldn't be acting like the world. All freaked out and bothered and worried and scared to death. Come on. Rejoice. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. 
There was a transformation in the relationship. You went from enemy to friend. I don't know about you, but that's a good thing. We should never forget that. We should live from that. You see, a relationship with an enemy is built on suspicion. It's hostile in nature. Its goal is to prevent hurt and damage. Why doesn't the world love God? They're suspicious of God. They don't trust God. Why do they have a hard time accepting God's love? Because they've been abused by the word love. There's no trust there. It's suspicion. The relationship with God is built on hostility and suspicion, not on truth and experience. Come on, somebody. But the relationship with a friend is built on a certain level of trust. It requires a change in attitude, and its goal is to give life, to give pleasure, and to give joy to each other. So when Jesus died, his blood washed your sin, you accepted what he did on the cross, you went from enemy to friend, and now you can rejoice in this newfound relationship, this wonderful new relationship, and the suspicion should leave, and the mistrust should leave, and you should learn to trust. Come on, we're being transformed into a new person by letting God change the way we think. And as you have experience with God, he shows himself to be faithful once again. He's a demonstrating God, y'all. If you'll let him, he'll show you every day. That's why it's important not to be the captain of your own ship. Because you see what only you can see. So God changes his attitude towards us and ours changes towards him. We can rejoice in this new relationship. So if you've given your life to Christ, congratulations. You're no longer an enemy. You're a friend. It's as simple as that. Transformation happened in a relationship. God's attitude changed towards you. The way he sees you is different now. The relationship has changed. Live from that. Live from that and not from anything else. That's who you are. If the enemy comes and asks you who you are, I'm a friend of God. When the world comes trying to tell you who you are, no, 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 I'm a friend of God. When people try to tell you who you are, no, 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 I'm a friend of God. Amen? That's who I am. I'm no longer under his resistance. I'm no longer an enemy. I'm a friend. Last verse, and we'll wrap it up. Romans 5, verse 2 to 5. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place, listen to these words, of undeserved privilege where we now stand, watch this, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. What? So James wasn't the only one to say that? 
So we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will lead will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Undeserved privilege. (laughs) Some of you spent your whole life and you never got a break. You never had any favor go your way. Almost feels like the wind was always in your face and never in your back. Can I tell you the day you gave your life to Jesus, you walked yourself into some undeserved privilege? You're now a child of God, brought into his family, adopted. You're an equal in inheritance. You have an equal inheritance with Jesus. Come on, you got a seat at his table. You belong. You're not on the outside anymore. You're on the inside. And you can stay. And you can stay. And when you mess up, you can stay. And when you mess up, he'll come over there and he'll wash you again so you can stay. God, I pray right now that you would help us to see ourselves like you see us. God, I know it may not happen overnight, but God, I pray that you would transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. God, continue to demonstrate your great love to us until we get it, God. Help us to see. Help us to understand how you see us. You believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. You believe in this new relationship more than we do, God. Would you help us just to, 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 to build our foundation on the one thing that, that Christ died and, and we went from enemies to friends. And the Holy Spirit seals us. Thank you, God. Help us to live from that foundation. I pray that everything anybody's ever told us that has tried to mark us and, and identify us and it's, it's not built on Christ, I pray it falls apart right now in the name of Jesus. That every stronghold would fall at the name of Jesus. That every lie the enemy of the world has put in us would fall right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, speak life into us today. Show us who we are. Remind us who we are. I pray your word washes through our hearts today. We don't settle. We don't compromise. Help us to understand what it means to be royalty. Not to put us in a position of pride, but to humble us. To be your representatives on this planet. God, move in our hearts today. Because I believe this, that when we know who we are in you, there is nothing in front of us that can stop us. There's no mountain too high, no valley too low, no river too wide to stop us from building your kingdom, from being in this wonderful new relationship with you and living and breathing and walking in joy and confidence. Thank you for that today. Do that mighty work in us today, God, I pray. In Jesus' name. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning.